All right, so here we go. Um, Acts chapter 21. We'll pick up in verse 15. Just so you understand, this is Paul working his way back to Jerusalem, and everybody's been telling him, like, no, you can't go you know, uh, trials and tribulations and imprisonment await you. And Paul's like, look, I got to go. I got to go. And what everybody's been telling him is something that the Lord had already told him prior to this. He's like, look, the Lord's already communicated to me that chains await me. But I'm bound and determined to get to Jerusalem. Um, this highlights Paul's heart for, for the Jewish people, for his own brothers and sisters, you know, um, nationally, I guess you could say. Uh, we, we know from the book of Romans that he had such a heart for the Jewish people that he said that if it were even possible for me to trade places with them eternally, I would do that. Now, I ask you, would you, would you say that same thing about your fellow Americans? Would you say that about maybe political people you don't agree with? You'd be like, look, if I could give you my spot in heaven and take your spot in hell, I would do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. But that's what Paul said. That's what he said, and I believe that truly was his heart, where he said, look, if I could, if I could change places with, with them, I would. That was his heart for their salvation and his heart for, for them just to know Jesus. I mean, what a... What a tremendous heart. So of course he has to get to Jerusalem. Of course he's going to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't care if that means he's going to get arrested. He did, that's not even a, a concern for him. Of course I have to go. Why? Because I love those people so much. That my life, and he even says, he's like, my life means nothing to me. If I can win but a few. If I can win but a few. And, and, and that's the heart we have to have. We as Christians, we have to have that. For us, I mean, and I, I feel this sometimes for myself, we, there's this self-preservation thing of like, I just I got to take care of me and I got to make sure that I'm good and all this stuff. And when we're so focused in on that, then we're not really doing anybody any good. Because then I get so consumed with me and the problems and the things and this thing and then now this thing and I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm not living for anybody else. But here's Paul, he's like, I don't, I, I just don't value my life that much in that sense. I got to get to these people. And I know what's coming. He knew what was going to happen, which even kind of helps to clarify some of the things that we're going to encounter within the rest of this chapter when he makes vows that he didn't have to make. But this is, we have to live our lives this way, okay? So let's, let's look at how, what, what is this way? What are we even talking about? Look, look at verse 15. After these days, oh, um, uh, I'm reading from a different Bible today. Uh, I should tell you that. I think it's already up there, but it's the NET, the New English Translation. Let me tell you, I love this translation. This one's really good. Um, you should get it. Uh, it's a word-for-word -word translation. Um, it's so good. Uh, all right, there you go. That's enough about that. Um, don't go looking for problems in it. You'll probably find some. You'll find some problems in all translations, okay? So don't give me any of that stuff. But this one's solid. Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and started up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. I don't care where you're coming from. You always go up to Jerusalem. Geographically, that's true. Because Jerusalem's like on a hill, kind of. And so you're always, whether you're coming from the north, the south, the east, or the west, you're always going up to Jerusalem. The Psalms of Ascent, yeah, 
that, that would kind of make some sense there, right? Read through those things. You're always going up to, up to Zion, up to Jerusalem. So they're going up to Jerusalem, verse 16. Some of the disciples from Caesarea came along with us too and brought us to the house of uh, Manasin, the of Cyprus, a disciple from the earliest times, a disciple from long ago. One of, like, he, he goes back probably, uh, definitely, you know, Acts chapter 2 time frame, but maybe even before that, okay? Just an unknown guy, and now he gets a name drop in the book of Acts, which is kind of cool, right? Like, Jesus has given Manasin, if that's how you say his name, could be Nason, I don't know, but uh, you could just give him a little shout out in, in the, the book of Acts. And this is it for him, and well, what a privilege, right? But they're going to stay with him, it says, whom, uh, with whom we were to stay. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us gladly. The next day, Paul went in with, uh, with us, and this is the, all the us pronouns, that's anytime you see that, where it's plural, us, um, that's, that's Dr. Luke. Okay, he's including himself, just so you know, clarity-wise. So they go in, they're going to meet with James, um, and all the elders were there. When Paul had greeted them, he began to explain in detail what God had done, that's key, this is what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. That's how it always should be. What God does through you to other, for other people, okay? It's what he does in and through you for other people, vertical and it has an inward effect, and it always goes outward. It should always go outward. But it should never like start inward and then outward, because you don't have much to offer. That's not an insult to you, but whatever you do have stored up to offer to other people, if there's no like vertical relationship between you and the Lord, that life supply coming in, this, whatever is in here, will dry out. It, it won't last. And then you get frustrated, then you get aggravated because things aren't going the way that you think they should and you just feel like, I, I just can't do this. And, and then you start blaming God and he's like, hey, I didn't move. I, I never moved. The, the disconnect, that, that's on your end. The power's always been there. You just unplugged, right? So Paul is saying, this is what God did um, through my ministry, Okay. You have a ministry. You have a ministry. If you're a, if you're a Christ follower, you have a ministry. And that, number one, is your life, how you live your life. You don't have to have a nonprofit set up or anything like that. You yourself are a minister because you belong to Jesus, period. You don't need Bible college. You don't need seminary. You don't need any of that stuff. Does it help? Kinda? Yeah, I guess. Sometimes it hurts, but if we're honest, but it, it doesn't disqualify you if you don't have those things. Because you're a child of God, you're a minister. And you have a, you have a ministry. Now your goal is to tap into what that is and where that is and with whom, you know? Paul got it, it was to the Gentiles. But what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, when they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed. These are believers. And they are all ardent observers. They're zealous. They're passionate of the law. So they're believers, but they still hold the law pretty tightly. They hold to it pretty tightly. Okay, so I, I, there's this transition that happens there. They're like, oh, Paul, that's so cool. 
We're, praise God for what God is doing through you. But now we, we, need to, we need you to know something. See, you're in Jerusalem now, and uh, there's all these believers, but they still hold fast to the law, which means there's a problem. There's a problem. That you're here is a problem, okay? So they're going to give them like the heads up. Um, they, verse 21, they've been informed about you that you teach all the Jews now living among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. Um, just so you know that that's not true. That's not true, okay? Uh, if, in one sense, yes, maybe abandoning Moses for the sake of Jesus, that's true. That's true. Uh, but the issue of circumcision, Paul, Paul is very clear about that. Circum being circumcised does not save you. It does not put you in God's favor. It, it doesn't, and Paul, he would even go on to say, like, the circumcision that matters the most is that of your heart. That's what matters the most, is that old being cut away and the new kind of blooming in place of it. But this is what's going around. This is what, uh, and everybody was, who was following after Paul as he went from city to city, town to town, there, there was this group of Jews that would follow behind him and say like, look, whatever he's telling you, it's not true. He's trying to lead you astray. There is only one way, and it's through our rituals and through our practices, and you have to be good in order for God to be good with you. That's what they were saying. You have to circumcise your kid. On the eighth day, you better circumcise your kid. If not, they're not good with God. And then you have to eat only these types of foods. And you can't eat the bacon and all that good stuff. Because if you do that, then you're not good with God. And the rules and the rules and the rules and the rules and all the stuff. Now, it's, it's made its way into Jerusalem and even amongst some of the Jewish believers. They're being told all this stuff that Paul is not really on the right team, so to speak. He's more, of a, he's more of like the enemy than anything else. But this is what's circulating in Jerusalem. Abandoning their customs and all that good stuff. Verse 22, what, what then should we do? They, they reply to him. Um, they will no doubt hear that you have come. Verse 23, so do what we tell you. For we have four men who have taken a vow. This is probably a Nazarite vow where they grow their hair out for a certain amount of time stay away from grapes and, you know, wine and all that good stuff, right? Um, these four guys have already started this vow. So what they want him to do is to jump in with them, so to speak. Four men who have taken a vow, verse 24, take them and purify yourself among them and pay their expenses so that they may have their heads shaved. Then uh, everyone will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but what you yourself live in or that you yourself live in conformity with the law. But regarding the Gentiles who have believed, we have written a letter. This goes back to, back to Acts chapter 15 or 16. We've written a letter having decided that they should avoid meat that has been uh, sacrificed to idols, uh, avoid blood, anything with blood, uh, that, and what has been strangled, and sexual immorality, right? So here, James and the leaders of the Jerusalem church say, okay, Paul, here's the deal. You're kind of in hostile territory right now. Because these guys think that you don't respect the law. And by not respecting the law, that means that you don't respect God. And so we have these four guys who have already taken this Nazarite valve, and they're more than likely they're probably already two weeks into this thing. And they're like, look, we just want you to, you jump in with them, you pay their expenses. And Paul's like, seriously? 
<laughs> like, no, you pay for their expenses and all this stuff, and you join in on that purification thing just so people can see that you actually care about these things. Did Paul have to do this? No. No. He didn't have to. He could have been like, what are you guys talking about? I don't have to do this, and I don't care what they think. But he did it. He did it. Why would he do this? Because Paul cared about being all things to all men so that he may win some. That's what he said in the, book, in the letter to the church of Corinth. I will become all things to all men so that I might win some. You want me to pay for their haircut? Cool, I'll pay for their haircut. You want me to do the purification thing? Um, because it's not really, this isn't a, a, an issue of salvation. I think Paul's like, fine, I'll do that. Whatever it takes, I don't care. It doesn't mean that much to me. If this is what they need, then I'll do that. Please know that when you become all things to all men, it doesn't mean that you join in with all men and their sin. Okay? I, I, I can't even believe sometimes we have to say these things. But we do. Because we take things and we take them to this extreme or to that extreme. And there are two extremes. There's complete isolation from the world, which is not biblical. And then there's complete indulgence into the world, which is not biblical. Okay? So we're like, no, I got to go to the bars and throw back a few and all that stuff so I could be all things to all men. You don't understand what that verse talks about. You don't understand what it is. It's not an issue of alcohol, whether or not you can drink alcohol. It's, it's how you are willing to lay aside freedoms that you have in order to win others to the Lord. Who cares if you have the right to drink? Who cares? Throw one back, but you don't know who's watching you that may have been freed from alcoholism for so many years, and then they see that, and they're like, oh, well, that dude can drink, so then I guess I can. We, we have to function in a whole nother realm. When, when you're, you are a minister, you represent Jesus. The, Paul had this, he had this where he's like, look, if, if I'm around people and they don't eat meat, guess what? I don't eat meat either. It's not a big deal. It's one meal. Who cares? No, but that's my right. That's my right. I, I'm going to die. You're what? Going to die on the hill of whether or not you should eat certain meats? Are you kidding me? You're going to die on a hill of whether or not you should drink alcohol or not? Are you kidding me? When people are going to heaven and people are going to hell. And we want to live and die on certain hills. And it's like, this is nonsense. Paul's like, look, okay, this isn't an issue of salvation. So I'll pay for their haircuts. I'll do the purity thing. That's fine. I don't mind doing it. It doesn't work. It didn't work. Whatever they hoped, it did not work. But Paul was like, sure. Why? Well, because I will, to the Jew, I'm a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm a Gentile. He, he just knew how to lay aside his freedoms and his quote-unquote rights for the sake of souls. We, we have to do the same thing. We have to be willing to do the same thing. And that kind of mentality never leads you into, should never lead you into sin. Should never lead you into sin. Because you're, 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 consulting the Lord before you walk out the door and you know like okay I'm going to be around these people man they don't have a relationship with the Lord and all they do is talk about this stuff and and I don't want to talk about that stuff anymore but Lord this is the scenario this is my work environment this is what I'm walking into Monday through Friday so Lord help me help me to minister to them 
to have the right words to say at the right time and to let my speech be seasoned with grace so that they see, well, why are you so different? Why are you so, why don't you talk like us? Why don't you join in with us in the after work activities? That's just not who I am. That's not who I am. I'll hang out with you. I'll have a conversation with you. You know, but it, it, it only goes to a certain extent. But I'm not going to shut myself off from the world because, oh, you know, you're bad people. It, it's the bad people who need Christians. It's the lost people who need Jesus. And we have them. And we have them. So be willing and, and consult the Lord. Lord, what, what am I holding on to that may actually be a hindrance in me sharing your gospel with somebody? And, and you got to be, and we talk about this all the time, but you got to be, you know, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. You just have to be smart. You have to use your brain. God gave you a brain. So just fill it with the Bible. Fill it with the word. You know, your brain and hopefully your heart, because that's what's more important there. But then just run everything through the, through like the Jesus filter. Lord, does this please you? Will this please you? Will you be glorified if I do this or that? If it makes it through the filter, then go for it. If he says, like, no, nah, I really don't want you to do that, then just, then just don't do it. Paul's like, what, what does it matter to me if I pay for their, these four dudes' haircuts? What does it matter to me? Do I need this purification thing? No, I don't. Paul would have said it. He's like, I don't need this. Well, you've been traveling around in Gentile cities, so we need to wash the filth off of you because now you're in the Holy Land. This is what they would, part of why they would do this. And Paul would have been like, dude, it all belongs to the Lord. The land all belongs to him. None of it's filthier than any other place. You get just as dirty trekking through Jerusalem as you do in Las Vegas. Right? You, you, I mean, you can get mud on you going, you know, hypothetically speaking, going into any city. Paul's like, I'm not dirty. I, I've been working. I'm not impure. I've been serving. But if you want me to do this, fine, I'll do it. And he does it. And that's, I think, again, this is just a, a good lesson, I think, for, for us as churchgoers and believers. is like, look, um, you got to have boundaries. You know, if you know, like, going to this area or that area or whatever may <clears throat> lead you into sin or then don't go then don't go come on just don't go but then find out where where else you you can go for the sake of the gospel because we have this light inside of us and we're expected to go and to share this anywhere everywhere with anybody and christians would do really well to lay aside some of your freedoms for the sake of other people's eternity. Not that you're gonna save them. But I think if we stop like making these open-handed issues such like big deals, just be like, no, what's the big, Jesus is the big deal. We, we never move on that. We never move on his word. We don't, we don't move on things like the fact that he literally physically died on a cross and that he literally physically rose from the grave three days later. We don't budge on those things. But some of these other things, 
Okay, whatever. Whatever. It's it just Paul's mentality. What he models here, I think it's just, it, it, it just hopefully is an encouragement to all of us. It's like, yeah. So what, do you, what does he do? Verse 26. Paul took them in the next day. There's no argument from Paul. We don't have any record of him arguing and saying like, no, look, here's what you guys need to understand. I have freedom and liberty in Christ and I don't have to do these things anymore. And he would be right. But some battles are just not worth fighting in that sense. He's gonna pick his battles. He's like, okay, next day, purified himself along with them. He went to the temple, gave notice of the completion of the days of purification when the sacrifice would be offered for each of them. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews of the province of Asia, who had seen him in the temple area, stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. He's like, see, it didn't work. You know, he's like, I'll, I'll do it. That's fine. It did not work. It didn't work. Maybe it worked with some. Maybe some, some of the Jews there. And that's the thing. Oftentimes, you know, like Paul here, he's, he, he laid aside maybe his right or his freedom in the Lord and maybe he wasn't aware of some of the other believers that saw that and were like, oh, okay, he's, one, he's a good guy, right? They, he maybe was used to encourage. We have no record of that. All we do know is that these other troublemakers show up and they're like, that's the bad guy. Get him. And they get him. They seize him. They grab hold of him. Verse 28, shouting, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people. See, that's key against our people. Now, they'll, they'll specify, you can see there, our law and this sanctuary. Now, it can be implied that their concern is for God, but it is not stated. They had three chances, and it was never stated. Our people, our law, our sanctuary, our church. Not God's people, not God's law, not God's church. This is solely about them. He is messing up. Just like Jesus showed up in Jerusalem and messed up their whole religious system, now Paul is doing the same thing. And what you see happen next should bring back all sorts of memories from the gospel accounts of Jesus being arrested and standing before Pilate in a trial and all the is all the Jews shouting out the same stuff that they're going to shout out, shout out concerning Paul. Furthermore, that verse goes on, he has brought Greeks or Gentiles into the inner courts of the temple and made this holy place ritually unclean. This is a big accusation. They're not, now they're like, look, we can't even go to church anymore because he messed it up because he brought in Gentile scum. They dirtied up our church. Now we can't go to church. This is the accusation. Because a Gentile is not allowed into the inner court. They could be come into the outer court, but they could not come into the inner court. But where did you get this information? I mean, this is, this is a charge that they are bringing against the Apostle Paul. This is a charge. And so in a court of law, you'd be like, well, okay, so... How, how do you know that? Where, you have an eyewitness? You have somebody who was there who saw him do this? They don't. Verse 29, for they had seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him previously, 
And they assumed Paul had brought him into the inner temple courts. Always be care of assuming something about someone else. Okay? There's a little thing. You can break that word down, and then you'll see why. Okay? I won't say it, but you get it. Don't make assumptions about people. Don't do it. Number one, you know nothing about them. You don't know as much as you think you know about that person and what they're going through. You don't. You don't. Okay? You may think you do, but I'm going to tell you right now, you probably don't. And we always, and we're, we're just weird people, humans. We're weird. We assume far over here or far over here. Either they're the best person in the world or they're the worst person in the world. Nobody makes an assumption of like, yeah, I bet they're all right. Right? Nobody does that. Nobody makes that assumption, which would probably be maybe more accurate. We're like, oh, that person? Probably, oh, that, I can't even believe that person showed up to church today. Right? Because we make those assumptions. And then we make these other assumptions of like looking around. We're like, oh, see, that person has their hands raised during worship. They're the best Christian ever. Really? How do you know? Well, because it looks like it. Oh. See, I was taught growing up that you don't judge a book by its cover. And some of the best books to spend time with are the most ratty things on the planet. Covers all messed up. Nice little book sleeve, that's long gone, right? Pages are all water-stained and everything. Those are the good books. But we think, oh, no, this book has the pretty cover, so that's a good book. Not always true. Not always true. They assumed that Paul had done this. They had no proof at all. Zero. Zero. But that's all they needed. They just needed an assumption. To fire up the mob. And, and here it goes. Verse 30, the whole city was stirred up and people rushed together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple courts and immediately the doors were shut. Why, verse 31, this is why I like this new English translation. While they were trying to kill him, because that's literally what was happening here. Some other translations don't really word it that strongly. But they are literally trying to kill the apostle Paul all based off of an, an assumption. While they were trying to kill him, a report was sent up to the commanding officer of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to the crowd. When they, the crowd, saw the commanding officer and the soldiers, the police, so to speak, they stopped beating Paul, right? They're like, oh, hey, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Oh, this guy fell down. He fell down. He tripped and he fell down. And we don't know why. He's so bloody. I don't know what happened. But um, thin skin, I guess. Uh, you know, I don't know. But we're, we're just trying to help him up as we're pushing him down. We're just trying to help him up. Cops show up and they're like, woo, got to go, got to go, right? Um, this is what happened. Now, why the immediate response from the commanding officer? Because you can't have any drama in Jerusalem. Okay, because it's governed, it, it's occupied by Rome, so to speak. You can't have, you get, and we saw this with Jesus, with Pilate. Pilate wanted to squash that immediately because he was kind of already had like two strikes against him. And if he had another strike against him, he was going to be out of his job. And so if any riots are stirred up or anything like that, these guys are going to act immediately because they don't want to get in trouble 
from, you know, from their overseers and the bosses. And this officer actually has his own assumption about who Paul is, which is partly why he acted so quickly as well. This might be a fugitive. Verse 33, then the commanding officer came up and arrested him and ordered him to be tied up with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done, okay? So he's got Paul, he's shackled, um, he's got two chains that, I guess, just to make sure that um, he doesn't get away. The guys have been almost beaten to death, like he's not going to get away. Um, and that crowd wouldn't have let him gotten away either. But so he's all chained up and the prophecy comes true. The prophecies that were made about Paul, like, look, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and chained. Here you go. They came true. They came true. Um, sometimes prophecies come true that we don't want to come true, right? You're like, oh, I wish that wouldn't happen. Well, you went to Jerusalem, and you, Paul already knew it, so he wasn't surprised by this. But here's, the, here's this mob mentality, verse 34. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, and others something else. So nobody even knows what they're doing. Welcome to this mob mentality. You can go into any kind of mobs. You can probably go, go back into last year, and you got knuckleheads in Seattle um, burning stuff down, acting like idiots. You can go and interview someone like, why are you doing this? Oh, uh, I don't know, maybe for this. Or, well, why are you doing this? Oh, I don't know, maybe for this. Nobody knows, has a clue of what they're doing, which is confusion, which is confusion. And it's just stupidity at its finest, right? Like peaceful protests and all that stuff, usually those people have a common goal, a common uniting factor of like, we're gathering together because we don't agree with this or that. Well, there you go. When mobs happen, you can ask anybody within the crowd, like, why are you here? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I saw something going on, so I just thought I'd jump in. I saw something going on. Oh, that guy, I don't know what that guy did, but he probably did this. And then these guys over here, I don't know what he did. He probably did that. You know, nobody has the same story. It's just confusion. It's chaos. They're bloodthirsty because they're like sharks and blood is in the water. And this commanding officer is just trying to make sense of this whole thing. It says, when the commanding officer was unable to find out the truth because of the disturbance, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. When he came up to the steps, Paul had, um, had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For a crowd of people followed them screaming away with him or crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. This was a heart for Paul. Kill him. Kill him. This is, I mean, this is how just, man. And it all started with some troublemakers from out of town that showed up and stirred up some trouble, spread some lies. It doesn't take long for other people to join in on that mob mentality thing. And Paul, Paul was, he's, you know, it, it, it was solely him. He was the only one. He was the one target, and they, they beat this dude almost to death, and he can't even walk upstairs. He can't even walk up the stairs. He has to be carried upstairs. But here's what Paul does. So he, he, he gets, he's being brought up there. He's being carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, verse 36, uh, violence of the mob. Um, verse 36, a crowd of people followed them, screaming away with him. Verse 37, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commanding officer, may I say something to you? The officer replied, do you know Greek? Because Paul is speaking to him in Greek. Because this is a 
this, this guy speaks, his primary language is Greek. He's like, whoa, you know my language. And then so this clear, clarifies an assumption that the commanding officer had concerning Paul. Then you're not that Egyptian who started the rebellion or started a rebellion and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness some time ago. He thinks he's dealing with an Egyptian. He thinks he's dealing with this troublemaker who started up this rebellion. He's like, I got him. I got him. I don't know what the bounty was for this guy, but this guy was probably pretty excited about that. Finally got that Egyptian. And Paul's speaking to him in Greek, and he's like, oh, oh, man. Like, it's cool you know my language, but so you're not that guy? Paul's like, no, I'm not that guy. Verse 39, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in uh, Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Please allow me to speak to the people. When the commanding officer had given him permission, Paul stood on the steps and gestured to the people with his hand, And when they had become silent, he addressed them in Aramaic, which is the common tongue within that region. So Paul's like, and they're all like, quiet, right? He did the thing, like, did this, what teachers do, right? They do this thing or something like that, like turn the lights off and on. That's what my teachers used to do. Um, He got their attention, and now he's going to address them in Aramaic. And we'll cover that next week. So, oh, look at that. It's a cliffhanger, right? It's a cliffhanger. Um... Hey, you are more than welcome to read ahead. Uh, you're not going to spoil anything for me because I've already actually read it. I've, I've already read ahead. Um, I know what's coming. You're not going to ruin it for yourself. In fact, you might come up with some questions that you have of like, oh, yeah, but what about this? Or, or I saw this cool thing. Hey, when you show up to church, you know you can express those things, right? Like it's hard when I'm talking because I'm up here and I'm talking all the time. I get it, right? Um, but when you guys interact with each other, you can always encourage each other with like, yeah, man, I was reading ahead, and I saw this, and then I saw that. Or last week, this, the Lord used that to, for this situation or scenario within my life. Um, or you can be like, look, he's talking about all this stuff, and I have no clue what he's talking about, right? And then you need to help each other out, because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what a church is, okay? But um, read ahead. We'll probably, we'll probably knock out um, definitely 22. We might go into 23 next week. I, I'm not sure yet, but um, look... Paul is, man, he's just, he's focused on the finish line. He's focused on the finish line. He, he knows the warnings have been laid out. You go to Jerusalem, these are going to be the problems and all that good stuff. He's like, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have, my heart has been set on it. I'm going to Jerusalem. I, I know what awaits me. And he had boldness for Jesus, not stupidity for Jesus, right? He wasn't dumb. He counted the cost. He knew what was coming. And it didn't scare him away. He still ran. He still ran. And he finished that race. He could have taken the easy way out. He could have taken the easy way out. But he's like, this is what the Lord has placed on my heart. Man, I have to, I got to run this race. I know what's lying ahead of me. And can I tell you, I, I don't know what's lying ahead of you guys. I'm not an Agabus. That was the prophet from the last week who like, tied himself up with Paul's belt. I still don't even know how he did that. But as like a symbol of like, this is what's going to happen to the person who owns this belt. I don't have anything like that for you. Other than this, life will probably throw you difficulties because life throws everybody difficulties. And it's not, it's not fun. We don't enjoy that. But I would hope and pray that we are 
focused on the finish line. Whatever may come, and there's going to be things that come your way. There will be things that come your way that will absolutely derail you, that will absolutely knock you flat on your face. Will absolutely do it. I'm telling you right now, you will encounter something, but you stay focused on the finish line, and the finish line is Jesus, and you just keep running. You keep running, and if you fall down, then let him pick you back up. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters who know how to help you up off the ground when you need that. We have to be there for each other. We're all running the same race. So let's finish this race. Whatever may come, let's just finish this race. Life is going to slap you right in the face. It just is. Whether it's, for us, one cancer diagnosis, two cancer diagnoses, three cancer diagnoses. I mean, come on. This is life. Do we like it? No, we don't, we don't like that at all. Would we like an easier, smoother path? path? Yes, but here's the thing. And this is, this is scientific. It, it's been studied that those who only walk on smooth paths, as you get older, as you get older, that is actually more damaging to you and dangerous for you. But if you stay accustomed to difficult terrain, it makes you stronger to the end, to the end. We don't like the difficult terrain, but I'll tell you this, embrace the difficult terrain for what it produces tomorrow, or 10 years down the road, or 20 years down the road. It's a narrow path, it's a narrow path, which means there's a lot of rocks, there's a lot of ups and downs, there's all that stuff, guys. But stay, ice, ice, yeah, breathe. I almost said it a third time. Then I'd have to start singing a song. But um, no, um, sorry. I just lost it. All right. Yeah, this makes for good radio. Um, it doesn't. Uh, not at all, which is, again, why I'm like, why are you putting us on the radio? Um, all right. Run your race. Stay focused on him. Fall down. He'll pick you up. You got brothers and sisters, man, who, who will be glad to help you up. And they want you to help them up too when, you, when they fall down. But that rocky terrain makes us tougher. That rocky terrain makes us stronger. We want the smooth, but the smooth is not what's best. It's not. So let's stay focused on Jesus. Let's run this race. Um, it, it, it's, it's heaven and hell we're dealing with. It's heaven and hell. That's what we're dealing with. People are dying and going to hell every single day. Every single day. Pick which hill you want to die on. But for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. And we'll lay aside whatever we have to lay aside. Because it's heaven and hell that we're talking about here. Okay? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, this day. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that we don't have to do this on our own. Man, Lord, if this was left up to me... I think I would have bailed out a long time ago. I'm just not strong enough, and I'm not smart enough. Um, Lord, I, I need you. I need you each and every day, each and every step of the way. And I want the smooth paths, Lord. I, I'll be honest with you. I want those smooth paths. But Lord, I, I, I want to finish. I, I want to be stronger. I want to grow stronger in my relationship with you, not weaker in my relationship with you, Lord. 
I just I want to be like the Apostle Paul, and I, I pray that that's the same sentiment out here in this crowd, Lord, that we want to be like the Apostle Paul. We don't want to be like so many we see recently within the headlines, Lord, of just not really finishing well at all. And we know that that's a common theme throughout your word, that people don't always finish well. But I pray for us, those watching online, listening on the radio, Lord, that you would help us to finish well. So we trust you, Lord. Man, we love you so much. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising from the grave. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you have made a promise to us that you would never leave us nor forsake us. I just pray that maybe in this moment, I know somebody's out there right now that just, they just need to feel that, Lord. And I pray that you would just, even just whisper into their ear that you're still with them. You're still with them, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. We love you so much. And I just pray for safety and protection for everybody with the, the winter stuff going on right now, Lord. Prayers for our homeless friends, that they find shelter. Um, man, Lord, above it all, Lord, we, we just thank you, Lord, so much that, that you just care. You care about us. You care about humanity. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.